You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. The next four weeks, ending our ministry year here together, the month of June, Lord willing, we're going to be studying the minor prophet Haggai. And so I hope already your interest has been piqued. Uh, many of us will have very little idea of what's in Haggai. We pray by the end of this series that has entirely changed. And by the way, um, a lot of us like to use the phrase when we're greeting people, Hey guy, what's up? Hey guy. Hey guy. So that's fully allowed during this series, okay? So we expect that to be said a lot, all right? So it's already the joke in the staff right now. And it's kind of cheesy, but it's fun because any way for us to remember, that's what I'm all about, all right? Any way we can familiarize ourselves with God's word. So you want to go up and say, hey guy, hey guy, how you doing? Hey guy, hey guy, all right? All right, there you go. I hope that's one of thousands of times that expression will be used now throughout this series. Some of you are the type you will use that to the point of annoyance, to craziness to people. So just discipline yourself. All right. Haggai. It already happened to me right there. Haggai is the second smallest book in the Old Testament. Second only to Obadiah. Uh, It may be small in size, but it packs a big punch of challenge and of transformation. Um, I am, as I've been studying this, and in the last few weeks as well, I'm very expectant that God's voice is going to be heard among us. I'm not going to say that I've arrived in faith in that, but I'm praying for more faith. I believe God is challenging my faith and your faith within this series right now. I'm expectant um, for prophecy I'm expectant for conviction. I am asking God for faith among us um, in a way that is new and fresh uh, for repentance as only the Holy Spirit can bring and renewal. I'm praying for faith to believe that God wants to draw us to himself in repentance and to renew us in himself, and to revive us by his spirit. So this was stated in the video, but I want to make sure that we heard it. The context of Haggai is post-exilic. After God's people have been exiled to Babylon. So the timing of this book then is very important in order to understand its significance. Now I'm banking on If you have been with us in these past few months, we went through our Bible as one book series and you are as equipped as ever to place the context of Haggai into the timeline of God's Word. So we'll do a little bit of review, that's what it should be, but again, placing ourselves in the position to have the greater context for the greater understanding. In 586 BC, which is 66 years before uh, Haggai's time, Jerusalem was decimated by the Babylonians. Um, At that time, the temple was also destroyed. Now, consider the impact of the temple being destroyed, okay, and God's people being exiled. For the first time since Moses, for the first time since Moses, God's people did not have a place of worship. Either through the tabernacle or then through the temple, again, of course, built by uh, Solomon. They did not have a place of worship. The vast, vast majority of Judah, which was the southern nation as opposed to the northern nation called 
Israel, thank you, good, okay? They were forced into exile as part of God's promised judgment upon them for their disobedience and their rebellion. But in 539 BC, the Medio Persians were raised up by God. Notice sovereignty. Notice God's sovereignty over history. I mean, God's in control. He, he predicted and prophesied all this would happen. He wrote it down. He would raise up another nation to conquer the Babylonians. The Persians come in. They conquer Babylon. And it was as early as 538 BC that Cyrus of Persia allowed the Jews to return to rebuild the temple. Notice again God's sovereignty. Are you someone who gets fearful and you fret over the world that we live in? Now this just in, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over every, every leader, every king, every politician, every event. He is not surprised. He is not worried. He's not biting his nails. He's not pacing in fear. God is in control 100%, 100% of the time. If you belong to him, you're good. Okay? You're good. Notice the sovereignty he shows us again as we understand and open up the opening pages again of Haggai. But here's the problem that leads us into Haggai's prophetic calling, which took place in 520 BC. It was 16 years after the work of rebuilding the temple had begun. 16 years later, the work was not yet finished. Okay? And just to kind of give us a sense of what's happening here, I want to put us uh, a chart on the screen. Just again, some of us are visual. Just I want to, uh, our intro right now, as we get into Haggai, let's just take it for what we can. So here we see the timeline of what is taking place. Again, we're growing in our Bible knowledge, understanding as students, so this should be familiar. Of course, the reign of David, the kingdom divides, 931, the fall of Jerusalem, 587, 586 B.C. They return from exile, 538. This is the reign of King Darius. We'll get to that again right here in verse 1 of chapter 1. Again, so this is where we find ourselves right now in Haggai's ministry, spanning just a few months as well as we're going to learn. And of course, again, Jesus arrives, and then the idea on the book of Revelation. So again, this is where we are right now in God's Word. It's very interesting also that the rebuilding of the temple had a really good start. The people are fired up. Uh, they had a lot of passion. They were, they were committed to the work. If you want to read about that, you can read about that specifically in one of the parallel books, the book of Ezra. And in Ezra chapters 3 and 4, you read about the people being stirred up to start to rebuild the temple. But what happens is, is that opposition is raised up to the rebuilding of the temple, and the work then stops. And the people get discouraged, and disillusionment sets in, and their hearts are sapped with strength and with optimistic faith. So it was at this point then, what happens here, the work stops, but then time elapses. Now watch this in your life too, okay? When you get discouraged and you get disappointed in your walk with Christ and you feel some disillusionment, if you're not careful, time can elapse and disillusionment can turn into apathy. And apathy turns into complacency. And complacency results in indifference. Because something's like, well, what's the point? We give up. It's too hard. I'm just going to coast. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't really feel God. I don't really believe he's there. That's what's happening with God's people here in the context of the book of Haggai. And so what God does, because he loves his people so much, and again, I mean, I pray this happens to us now. 
God loves us too much to let us sit in apathy and complacency and indifference. And he raises up prophetic voices in his word to rebuke us because he loves us to correct us, to exhort us, to change us. And if you and I really belong to him, he won't let us go that far and be sinking and stagnant in the ditch before he sends a prophetic voice into our life to say, my child, get up. Let's get to work. I want to use your life. I did not send my son to die for you to sit there and do nothing. You get glory. Give me glory through your life that I take pleasure in the living sacrifice that you are. We'll get to there in a few moments. So before we officially get into God's word, we understand this. In the laziness, because that's what it was, in the laziness of God's people, he comes in and shakes them. In their apathy and self-indulgence, God wakes them up. In their indifference, he rebukes them. Because again, he loves them. So already, already the idea of misplaced priorities and misplaced passions are being spoken of. And I want to just do this just for a second. I just want to ask you this question. So as we see the context of Haggai, God's people discouraged 16 years earlier, 16 years later, lazy, apathetic, misplaced passions, misplaced priorities, pursuing self-indulgence. I just want to ask us all, myself, I'm starting right here with myself, this question. Where, in, in terms of misplaced priorities and passions, where do you expect, where would you think God might speak to you about that now? Where, where is God going to speak? What is God going to speak to you about in terms of misplaced priorities and passions in your life? Where, where do you suspect by the end of this message the Holy Spirit might be like, I'm knocking on your door and I want to point this, this area over here out. Where do you think that's going to be? And it'll be fascinating as we go through this message today and through this series. It'll be fascinating if what you expect, what you already know might be the issues if the Holy Spirit confirms that in your heart and life. And then the question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Are we going to be hearers and just hearers alone, or will we be doers as well? So my desire so much for this series right now is understanding this too. God spoke to his people then. And God wants to speak to his people now. You know, I was so encouraged um, I was just talking to my wife. We were at a, a family event just a couple hours ago, and um, I was just talking to Jill, and she says, you know, I was listening to uh, Christian radio, and she says, what are the chances? But I heard two people talk about the Bible teaching regarding the book of Haggai. I'm like, really? No way. Like, when's the last time you heard about Haggai being taught? Yeah, there's two people going through Haggai. And one of the person, I'll, I'll paraphrase, one of the persons said this. He says, it is a tragedy when the church today considers what happened then can't happen now. And I'm like, I need to hear that. See, it's, God, I'm praying for faith. And when my wife says that to me, it, just, it fills my life with faith just a little bit more to say, God, you are going to speak to us. You are going to move among us. And you are going to call us to, to difficult decisions of repentance, but to then revive us in a hunger because we don't want to live for the world with this one chance that we have. And so I, I just want to take some time right now. This is a time right now to pray. And, and I pray already right now, your heart just stirred just a little bit, just a little bit more than when you came in. And a little bit of faith starting to trickle down. So, Lord, what would it look like if you brought me to repentance? And you brought me renewal? What would it look like, Lord, if you revived my heart 
because I know that my life's been stagnant. And I know I've been missing placing my passions, priorities, and other things. But Lord, your will be done. It's really all we're asking. God, your will be done in, in Hope Bible Church right now, in this month, in this month of June. So what I want you to do is I just want you to take a moment in quiet. I want you to pray. I will close us off. What is the Lord saying to us already? But let's, everyone who's interested, everyone who believes what they've heard already is of the Lord, let's all pray that God will do great things in our midst. Amen, church? So let's pray. Let's just, let's just bow ourselves in humility. You speak to the Lord. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Ask the Lord to change your life. Ask the Lord for the gift of repentance. Ask the Lord for the gift of faith. Oh God, you have not placed this book Haggai in the Old Testament just to be seen as something that happened only then. It has no transferring principles to now. It does, Lord. We are called to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. So Lord, I pray, I pray you will be causing our faith to rise right now. Even right now, Holy Spirit. Give us expectancy. Oh God, help us to see the world as, as just boring, as empty, as treasures that moth and rust will destroy. God, I pray you will lead us not just to pray now. I pray you will lead us to pray hard in these next days and weeks. Such powerful things happened in, in, in Haggai's prophecy in such a short period of time. And I pray you will do that in our midst now. I pray, I pray, oh Lord, you will. Hear us, Lord, we need you. Just all, even from the very beginning, forgive us our sins. We repent, Lord, of our indifference and our apathy and our complacency, our love for entertainment. God, forgive us for not hungering for you. And I pray you will give us such attentiveness and in our ears and with our lives and longing with our hearts, even now in this service right now, make it supernatural for you. I pray, oh God, would you do this? In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say amen. 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 Well, if you haven't done so already, please open your Bibles to Haggai, to the book of Haggai. And if you don't know where Haggai is, you can turn beside you and say, hey, guy, do you know where Haggai is? Okay. One of the things I like to do in memory for just some of the final portions of God's word, that Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. This is kind of the way it works. I'm really weird, but those things work for me. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And you just kind of remember it, and then you don't forget it. And so there you go, especially those tricky kind of words or tricky books at the end of the Old Testament. Of course, the Bible wraps big hit in our home too. Whatever, whatever helps, whatever helps, okay? Uh, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 says this, okay? In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. It says right there. So verse 1 explains this, that Haggai's prophecy came at an exact date. 
And you got to know this, his ministry, again, just spanned just a few months. Verse 1 precisely dates this to August 29th, 520 B.C. And Haggai's last sermon would be December 18th in the same year of 520 B.C. Just so you see this, this is found in the ESV Study Bible. I want you to see this right here, okay? So we have five main oracles, okay, within the book of Haggai. We're grouping, as our video did well, we're grouping the first two together. So we have four main sections. And they give the precise days. We know exactly when this happened. So in verse 1, it tells us, again, this is August 29th of 520 B.C. We're going to see at the end of chapter 1, this is September 21st. Just, it's just three weeks in space again, what's happening there. And you see October 17th, December 18th, we'll get there. And then December 18th, again, again, happening um, in 520 B.C. So you really have a span of four months, not even like four months of all this taking place in God's Word. And it's such an important part, again, of what the Bible's teaching us right now, Okay giving us context, understanding what's happening. So notice also in verse 1, it says, in the second year of King Darius. Now, why is that important? There's a few reasons. The reason I want to point out is notice the dating is to a Gentile king. No longer is it dated by a Jewish king, a king of Israel or a king of Judah. What does that tell us? It tells us just how much the culture for God's people has changed. It tells us about the rebellion. It tells us about the reality of their exile. It tells us here, again, the distance of God's people from the Lord because of their sin. But notice also in verse 1, note it's here that the word of the Lord came. Now, all throughout history, church, all throughout history, God has and will declare his word. God will always have his prophets God will always have those who will be raised up to speak for his name, whether they're loved or hated, whether they're lifted up and honored, or whether they're murdered and martyred. He will always have his prophets. Listen, God will always have the final word. He will always have the final word given to us in his word. So again, just, just take a moment, soak up the sovereignty here. Soak up the sovereignty just in verse 1 alone. Exact date, at this time, raised up his prophet, and God's word comes again upon God's people. So let's read verses uh, 2 to 4 here, and here comes the prophetic message. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time, notice the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So here's where I want to start as we begin to unpack uh, Haggai's sermon as it relates again to this initial message or initial oracle. Point number one is going to be this. It's this. There is a time for our sin to be confronted. There is a time for our sin to be confronted. Again, it was about 15 years earlier that the temple being rebuilt had a great and glorious beginning. As I said, you can read about that in Ezra 3. 15, 16 years later, the temple remained unfinished and neglected. So what does God do? God confronts them in their sin. Now notice the excuse of God's people. Can you see it there? It's in verse 2. Their, their excuse for neglecting God's work was the time has not come. It's not the time. 
The time is not yet. It wasn't against that they were against rebuilding God's temple. It's just that they had a different set of priorities. And when your priorities is not the Lord, enter excuses. Sound familiar? Can we just admit as human beings we are ingenious when it comes to making excuses? In neglecting the Lord, I've heard them all. Just take a moment right now and examine your heart. What excuses have you and I been making in putting off God's kingdom? What are the most recent excuses that you've come up with to put off the reality that we are called to seek first the kingdom of God? Now, the excuse of the people here in Haggai in chapter 1 is pretty brilliant. They're like, no, 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 we, we, we want to see the temple rebuilt. Just not now. We'll get to it. It's just not now. It's, just, it's, it's not the right time. We'll get to it soon. Again, just, just, just give us a little longer, and eventually we'll get there and we'll come around. But please notice again in verse 2, God refers to his people, not as his people. God refers to the people of Israel as these people. These people. Why is that significant? Again, again it's significant because over time the distance between God always calls his people my people. And now he's like these people. The way they've been acting, the way they have set him aside, the way they have not honored him and glorified him, now he's saying these people indicating the relationship, again, has suffered great distance and there's not great intimacy between God and his people. Their excuse is it's, it's not the time. Think of our excuses, man. Too busy at work. Too busy with the kids. Too much homework. I'll have more time once this sports season ends, whatever it might be. All the excuses that we give. And so the people give the excuse of time, but then God calls them on their hypocrisy. Look at verses 3 and 4, okay? He says this. He says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And Haggai says, he says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Okay, so the house that I come from and my kids, this is called, well, I would call it when I was a kid a burn. Ooh, you got bird, man. And my kids now, they hear something, they'd be like, oh, like that, all right? So young people, me, you might know what I'm talking about right there. Haggai just totally burns them in my language. And in my boy's language, like, Haggai, oh, what a comeback, what a comeback. See there? Because the people are like, we don't have any time. And he's like, oh yeah, verse 4? You have time for yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins. And all God's people said, oh, like that, all right? He just totally burned them. He's like, oh yeah, what about that? It's funny that their voices are saying one thing, but their lives are totally saying another thing, right? So their voices say it's not time to build the temple. Ready, ready, ready? But their lives say it was time to pursue self-luxury. Oh, that hurts. And that's exactly what's going on. Can I just say this, man? Like, again, let's be honest enough, people. God knows every heart in this room. We do the same thing a lot. Hey, man, you serve the Lord. You want to pursue his kingdom? You want to be generous to the work of God? Oh, not right now, not right now. I don't have time, I don't have time. And then the very thing we do is we leave church and our lives are self-indulgent with luxury and all these ridiculous things in our world. I mean, what are you doing? God's like, you think you're fooling me? Like you say, you got no time and nothing to give, whatever. And then the very aspect of your life, it's just the evidence is lighting. You got time for that. You got time for that. You got money for that. You got gifts for that. You got all these other things you're doing. And we're like, hmm, I got a point there, God. But we make excuses. 
And we rationalize it. And this is what the people of God were doing as well. It's interesting that I think inherently in studying some commentaries, one of their most inherent excuses was, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. The economy's bad. And God's like, well, you seem to have the money to put into your self-house. You got the, the houses with a roof on it. You got some sweet panels. And yet my house lies without a roof. Conviction. Again, see what's happening here, okay? See, see what's happening here. It's the priority of self-indulgence or personal prosperity over the house of God. God's house lies in ruins while your house is all sweet and fancy. Okay, here's the, here's the, here's the principle we're taking from Haggai. We'll start with the principle in the Old Covenant, okay? Here's what's happening in Haggai. Here's the principle. The condition of their hearts was directly related to their attitude toward God's temple. So stop there for a second, okay? So this is exactly what's going on in, in Haggai chapter 1. God's like, no, no, I know where your hearts are at because the way you treat my temple is the direct indication of where your hearts are at. Now, what do we do when it comes to the New Covenant and the New Testament? The principle applies. Let's look at it here. Here's the principle for us right now in our day. Our heart condition is directly related to our attitude toward God's kingdom. We know exactly where our hearts are at as it relates to our pursuit or our apathy towards the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are we storing up treasures on earth that moth and rust to destroy? Are we storing up treasures in heaven, again, which are eternal? This is the principle that we see, and it's a very, very important one. So what the Lord does here, he confronts them in their sin directly, and notice their excuses that they provide are really for what? Their excuses. What's, the, um, what's really behind the idea of we don't have time? Um, um, we'll get to it later. Here's what's really behind that. Ready? Laziness. Procrastination. Self-indulgence self-prosperity, and really, ready, idolatry. That's really what's behind the misapplied, misapplied priorities and passions of God's people. What our passage makes so clear here, they were making excuses in order to devote themselves to their own prosperity. I just want to pause. I just, I just want us to chance just to, Holy Spirit, speak. Why? And again, again, as we talked about this, in the Old Covenant, it was about what are you doing towards God's temple, which signify his presence. In the New Covenant, it's what are we doing and where's our heart towards God's kingdom? The building of God's kingdom, the pursuit of God's kingdom within our lives and this chance that we have right now. So the question is, what excuses are we making right now in the neglect of the kingdom of God. There's, there's, there's so much good stuff in our passage. Like I just, it's one of these weeks where I have 15 verses and I'm like, oh, verses one to seven could be a whole sermon and verses eight to 12 could be a whole sermon. But nonetheless, we're gonna get through it in four weeks, Lord willing. But look at verses five and six, okay? This is, this is so good. Now watch what happens here, okay? So uh, you're, you're building your old panel houses while the house of God lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. We'll get to that in just a second. That phrase, consider your ways, that's the sermon title for today. Examine your hearts, Examine your direction. Examine your motives. Verse 6, ready? 
You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And this is great. I love this end of verse, of verse 6. I haven't seen this in this way in a long time. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. That's amazing to me, isn't it? What's the bottom line? And we'll come to more of this at the next point. The bottom line is this. When we prioritize our own prosperity, we will always end up dissatisfied. Okay? I was talking to a, a mentor friend of mine. I mentioned that I was going to be jumping into Haggai with all you guys in this series. I'm talking about chapter 1. And he just, he just presented this really good insight to you and understanding. He goes, you know, it's amazing to me. He says, so many believers, they don't give to God. And they think that the money they withhold from God, they really gather for themselves. But when you're stingy towards God and you're not generous with what he's given to you and you know you can't outgive God, but you, all the money you think you're holding for yourselves, he says all of a sudden your car breaks down. All of a sudden the furnace stops working. All of a sudden the business deal goes out. All of a sudden something unforeseen happens and you think you got all this money for yourselves, but it just slips through your fingers because you were trying to save wages in a bag with a hole in it. I'm like, that's so good. How does that apply exactly? I'm not totally sure, okay? But I, I absolutely believe by experience and God's word as well. Again, you cannot outgive God and you will reap what you sow. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's so clear there. God doesn't promise to make us healthy and well. You know how I feel about that. But the reality is, again, when we cheat God, we cheat ourselves. And so many people are and they're wondering, how come I can't, how come I can't hold the coins, man? How come they're always falling? Because you've never been generous with the kingdom of God. And it's right here in this verse here. It's awesome. He's like, you keep seeing satisfaction. You don't have your fill. You eat, you're never full. You drink, you're never again quenching your thirst. You try to gather, but you always have little. Single greatest moment that Jill and I, early in our marriage, it's our greatest financial stressful times is when we gave the least. It's lacking faith. You start to trust the Lord. You start to, again, you know, like you're just, you're writing the checks that just make no sense. This for his kingdom, man, it feels exciting. And just to see his faithfulness. Just promises that he'll provide what we need. It's important to look at this right now. It's important to look at this. So many Christians don't live this way misplaced priorities, misplaced passions, misplaced faith and stuff over Christ. God, convict us of our sin. And I pray you're not afraid of that, man. I welcome it, man. I'm like, I'm like just show me, man. Bring it, bring it. Because I know it's one of the greatest paths to renewal and satisfaction and joy. And I'm telling you, I'm writing this message this week and I come to places like this and I stop and I act on it. I act on it right away. Because I'm like, I just know, here's what I gotta do right now. Bam, done. Feels so good. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. There is a time for our sin to be confronted. Number two, there is a time for our obedience to be challenged. Look at verses seven and eight now. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There's that phrase again. 
Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, uh, says the Lord. So thus says the Lord of hosts. That's used 14 times in the book of Haggai. It's used 247 times in the prophets. That is a total declaration of God's sovereignty again. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Better listen up. Consider your ways is the phrase. Literally, that phrase is put your heart on the road. Get your heart on the table. Put your heart on the direction that you are taking. Examine your heart. Do not hide. Consider your ways. Put your heart on your paths. Let us see what it's really about right now. Examine the true direction of your heart. Wow, wow. Consider your ways is a call to self-examination. Called a self-examination, thinking about this week too. Listen, how can we expect our children to be passionate for the Lord when we're idolatrous for the world? How can we expect our kids to want to read the Bible when they never see us reading the Bible? How can we expect our homes to be a house of prayer when we ourselves never pray? How can we expect our kids to love the church and honor those within when we ourselves complain and criticize about the church. And it's often the priority fourth, fifth, sixth down from all the things we really like to do. They're seeing everything. How do you expect your family and your children to actually gather a true passion for Christ when you don't have it yourself? It's asking a lot. Now that's convicting. At least it is to me. In verse 8, instead of gathering wood for your own houses, how about, God says, how about gather wood for my house? That's fair. Notice the reason in verse 8, though, this is, this is so critical, ready? Like, as if the Lord needs our money. Like, come on, really? Like, but, well, what's it about then, Pastor Robbie? Well, look at verse 8. That I may take pleasure in it. That I may be glorified. Because he wants your hearts. When he has your heart... And he has pleasure in us being living sacrifices. When he has our hearts, he gets our glory. We glorify him with that. That's the whole point of the Christian life and following Christ. Consider the purpose of our obedience to the Lord. His pleasure and his glory. Now, consider the purpose of the temple being rebuilt. What was the temple there? Primarily for two main reasons. The sacrifice of God's people towards God. And the beauty of God's glory, Shekinah glory, in the temple. Consider the purpose of us being temples of the Holy Spirit. Two greatest reasons to see us being temples of the Holy Spirit, living sacrifices for God's pleasure, this is your spiritual worship, and that our lives would give him glory. This is what God's looking for. We, we prove we love him by sacrifice for him. Not to earn something, because we love him. We prove we love him, and we're so thankful as our lives give glory to him. Notice this strong theme in Haggai too. When we pursue our own prosperity, we will be found wanting. But when we pursue God's pleasure, listen, there's no greater place of satisfaction. Here's a question. Do we believe that though? Have we been lied by Satan and our flesh so much to the extent that we actually don't believe God's the greatest satisfaction? We believe the next game, the next entertainment, the next TV show, the next whatever it is, the next gadget, the next item, the next whatever it is, next whatever it is. We believe that's more satisfying than God himself. We have been grievously lied to. How many of us are living for ourselves? 
the Holy Spirit confronts us in our sin and challenges us in our obedience. Why? That we might know where life is lived. Because again, look at verse 9 now. Look at verse 9. He says, you look for much. Watch the theme here again. God's word's amazing. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. I circled that. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, here, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills. I'll just stop right there. Here's how Walter Kaiser summarizes these verses. I want to put on the screen for you. You can see principle I kind of alluded to. Here it is. Ready? No one cheats God without cheating himself at the same time. This is the principle we're seeing in Haggai chapter 1. No one cheats God without cheating yourself at the same time. It's a principle of faith that leads to obedience in the Lord and not ourselves. That's why the New Testament, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Therefore, a failure to seek first the kingdom, ready, ready? A failure to seek first the kingdom is to forfeit on some level God's blessing upon your life. What kind of blessing? God decides. God decides. All we know is if we fail to seek first the kingdom, and we're seeking the, the kingdom of the earth, we are forfeiting God's blessing on some level in some way. The connection in Haggai is explicit. God calls a drought in order why? God calls a drought. Why does God call a drought? He calls a drought in order to gather the desires of his people. He withholds to gather. He withholds what they want so much that he might get their hearts to come to him. I mean, think of how many times that happened in your life and mine over the years. You look back and you recognize that things didn't go the way you wanted them to go. The situations didn't happen the way you wanted them to happen. But you have enough hindsight and humility, you can say, well, God actually used that situation of trial and of withholding and of discipline to get my heart because that's what matters most to him because he loves me so much. It's powerful to be able to understand it and live that way. How does this all apply practically? Can't say for sure. I wouldn't get too caught up in the material because God is only after the spiritual. He will withhold the material to get the spiritual. He's just after the spiritual. Why? Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So again, God will remove the physical treasure to gain the spiritual heart. So very challenged this week, very challenged this week. Oh God, God, just stir us afresh, renew us, renew our minds. I was just thinking, Robbie, just make sure, man, just make sure first hour of the day, first hour of the day, first hour of the day and worship to God. First day of the week, principle of Sabbath, first day of the week, you give that to the Lord. You honor him, first affections of your heart, man. You don't start loving other stuff. You love the Lord first, you tell him. You pursue him. First check I write. First check we write as a couple. These are important steps of understanding where our priorities really lie. This is what we show again, the, 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 the longings of our hearts. Pretty simple, but pretty powerful. 
And asking and praying that God would turn over hearts in our church right now and to understand our obedience is being challenged, our sin is being confronted, but again, just letting the Lord work and see what he might do. So even just pausing right now and just for a moment for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak. Leaving some room even right now in this message right now for the chance for brokenness over sin. Maybe just acknowledgement of that sin. To repent of that sin. Maybe to leave some room right now for the Holy Spirit just for us to invite repentance. Maybe your heart's not there. Maybe your heart's hardened, but you're saying, Lord, I, I want you to bring my heart to a place of repentance. I want to want. I long to long. I thirst to thirst. You can do that. Holy Spirit, would you be opening up closets in people's lives right now? Holy Spirit, would you be shining light in the darkest places of our lives that we've been trying to hide from you, which we can't? Holy Spirit, would you be turning hearts over right now of true affection? Would you be opening blind eyes that have thought they could live for the world and truly be satisfied? Would you change that right now, Lord? Would by your Holy Spirit, would you give the gift and the ability and the courage to be honest of what we know to be true, that I am sinning right now. I am idolatrous. I am forsaking the Lord. I am loving the world more than Jesus Christ. I am not being faithful to him. If truth be told, and you look at my life, I'm saying one thing, I'm doing another. I say I should rebuild the temple, but my lives are living completely opposite direction. I'm building my own temple. God, give us the courage just to say, yes, Lord. You're right because you love me. And I want to see renewal in my life. And I want to see renewal in my church. God, I want you to bring revival right now. God, I want you to do this. There's a time for our sin to be confronted. There's a time for our obedience to be challenged. And thirdly, there's a time when our conviction must lead to change. Where our conviction must lead to change. Look at verse 12. This is so great. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, ready, 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 obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. Ready? And the people feared the Lord. Now notice Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, they all the remnant, they obey the voice of the Lord. Now, now, consider this. Consider the power of unified obedience as each one of us responds and listen to God's spirit. Here's what I'm totally convinced of. If every single one of us here right now would do this, if every single one of us would put ourselves individually through this process of self-examination, of confession, and repentance, and the desire to seek obedience, if every person did this uh, seat by seat and row by row and aisle by aisle, if every person did this in some form, in some way, revival would break out among us. It would just have to. It would have to. If every single one of us owned our sin before the Lord and begged him for a heart of love and hunger for him and pursued obedience in this way, I'm telling you, you come back next week, this place is different. It just has to. I can't change you. You can't change me. But you can take each step. You can, you can make the decision right now that you want what God wants and you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life. I'm, loved ones, God, give us faith. Give us faith. I know it's warm in here. Some of you are tempted to fall asleep or whatever, all right? I'm telling you, stay awake in the Holy Spirit of God and you believe what's happening right now. This church will not remain the same. 
One of the great challenges of being in ministry 15 years is you want to drop into routine and drop into, again, a, a, a mode that you've seen all the years and you start to coast. God forbid that happens to us. And so he brings in messages like Haggai to stir us up and wake us up and shake us up. Start with me, God. I'm be, start with me. Okay? Complete transparency before you. God, start here. I need, I need this right now. You start with me. Show me, Lord. And I pray I will respond the way you want me to respond. To own my sin. And to see the life-giving water flood down again. And the passion ignited. And the boldness found. And the hope restored. And the faith for what life is truly about. Living in my life. And then, and then spreading on to my wife. And then finding in my kids. flooding the church that I belong to. That'd be awesome. If every single one of us makes the decision that we want to walk by faith and not by sight, we want the Lord to do. I mean, this, this place, it just, it will not remain the same. Come on, Saturday service, lead the way, man. Lead the way. You set an example for Sunday morning. Set an example, man. What is going on in that place? What is happening on Saturday night? Revival's breaking out. I'm going to go to that service. You spread it. You spread it. The whole church. The whole church. You know, it's, it's so important for us to, to acknowledge how many times we nod our heads in agreement to God's word. I've seen that. I, I've seen that for 15 years. Yep. Good sermon, pastor. Good sermon, pastor. And they leave. Nothing happens. Nothing happens, man. Trust me. Trust me. I know. I've seen it. We agree with our heads, yet our lives lead without action or change. We hear, we do not do. How many times will we feel the conviction while here? How many times? I mean, how many of us right now have conviction in our hearts? We don't put your hands up or anything. How many times of us right now sense God's Spirit saying to us and we're already trying to find excuses to get out of it? Service isn't even over yet. And that's already happening. How much longer will we put up with our own excuses? How much longer? You know, if you look at the end of verse 12, it says, and the people feared the Lord. And the people feared the Lord. You know what they're finding out right now? They're finding out this verse on the screen right here. They're finding out this, ready? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. That's what they're finding out. They're finding, man, when, I, when my life is filled with the fear of the Lord, man, there's nothing else I need. There's nothing else I need. And the people feared the Lord. And then look what happens in verse 13 and 14. I was journaling these verses even this morning. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Watch, watch, ready? I am with you, declares the Lord. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Why does God feel distant? Well, maybe it's because we're just pursuing our own prosperity. How come I have such a hard time hearing the voice of God? Maybe it's because our lives are filled with idolatry. How come I have no intimacy? How come my voice doesn't sing for the Lord? How come I feel so, again, apathetic in my walk with Christ? Well, maybe it's because your life's consumed with entertainment. But you draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And the message the Lord says, I am with you. I am with you. Verse 14. I love this. Look at it three times. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the Lord stirred up the spirit 
of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Wow. Just to recap on the screen, here's what's happening in verses 12 to 14. Obedience to the Lord, that's what happens. Leads to a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord leads to an assurance from the Lord, I am with you, I am with you. An assurance of the Lord leads to passion from God. God stirs up the spirit and passion to the Lord as well. They are ignited in serving Christ, serving the Lord. And then passion for the Lord leads to fruitfulness for him. And they all came together to restart the work of the temple and the dedication of God's kingdom. And what I want you to see God, give us faith. Put the next part up here. I want you to see this. This all happened in 24 days. Verse 15 tells us that exactly. In 24 days, this took place. They went from indifference to ignition. They went from complacency to conviction. Do you know how long this series is starting today in the book of Haggai for us in the month of June? Probably precisely 23 days. God, do something awesome. Lead us, lead us to repentance. God, help us to lead by within faith is really the battle. Faith. Faith to believe you can do this. Faith to believe. In just 24 days, Haggai's again, prophetic ministry just it sees the people galvanized. It's rare in God's word to see such change in such a short period of time. What could God do in the month of June? It's June 1st today. Perfect timing. By God's sovereignty, what could God do? So a few questions before we prepare for the Lord's Supper. So perfect for today. Question number one. What excuses stop today? What excuses stop right now? What sins need confessing? The Bible tells us when we take the Lord's Supper, we are to examine our hearts. Examine ourselves in confession and repentance. Third question, what obedience needs to start today? What obedience needs to start today?